0: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Where were you on 9-11? As we mark 20 years since that tragic day, Q104.3 explores that question with 9-11 Stories, a podcast presented by Barish and McGarry, lawyers for the 9-11 community. Each week, we present a 9-11 story from first responders, celebrities, and everyday people whose lives were forever altered that day. And now, here's your host, Shelly Sunstein. This is the 9-11 story of Jay Winnick who co-founded 9-11 Day, a national day of service to honor all who served that day. Jay's younger brother, Glenn, was a partner at a law firm two blocks from the World Trade Center, but he also served as a volunteer firefighter and EMT in his hometown of Jericho. On 9-11, 40-year-old Glenn collected his rescue gear and went into the South Tower to save lives, just like he did in the 93 World Trade Center bombing. but. This time, Glenn did not survive. Well, my name is Jay Winnick. Um, I'm a public relations professional by trade, uh, but for most of the last 19 years, I've also been working as the co founder and executive vice president of a nonprofit called My Good Deed, which is the organization that first began and continues to lead the. September 11th, National Day of Service and Remembrance. Uh, And I'll come back to the origins of that in a few minutes. Uh, I am a 9-11 family member. My brother, Glenn Winnick, uh, was three years my junior. um, And we are uh, two of three brothers. Uh, My brother, Jeff, is the oldest of the three of us. We grew up in Long Island and uh, on Long Island, Glenn was a volunteer firefighter and an EMT uh, for a time was commissioner of the Jericho Fire District. He was uh, a, uh, an officer in his engine company for a time and he was very committed to the firefighting practice and community, um, but he lived and worked in New York City. So for 20 years, Glenn was uh, an active firefighter, but he did live and work in New York City. He was a partner at the law firm, Holland and Knight, whose offices at the time were located at 195 Broadway, uh, less than two blocks from the Trade Center. The morning of September 11th, Glenn was in his Midtown apartment building, getting ready for work, uh, and learned that the first tower had been hit by a plane. So he raced downstairs. The doorman in his building, who I spoke to later, told him, don't go down there, but Glenn was a firefighter. You know, he he was gonna do what firefighters do and what he was called to do. He got into a cab, uh, got down to 195 Broadway, went upstairs, helped evacuate the Holland and Knight Law Offices. And then from some of the first responders on the scene, borrowed a first responder kit and headed west on foot the two blocks uh, up Day Street into the South Tower to save lives. Uh, In 1993, Glenn had responded also, given his training and Proximity of his office to the Trade Center when the Trade Center was bombed. Then, so he um, he had the training, he had the guts, he had the courage, he had the proximity to, as I say, do what firefighters do. They're uh, a remarkable breed. They're a breed apart. You know, my older brother too was a volunteer firefighter so many years ago, and. Um, you know, as a, as a family member of a, of a firefighter, you just see uh, the passion and the commitment and the fortitude, uh, the courage, what it takes to run into burning buildings and other emergency situations uh, that these uh, men and women have who step forward as public safety officers to keep the rest of us safe to save lives and property. Um, We have never in all these years got to speak with anybody who spoke with Glenn in the South Tower. Most of them of course, you know, perished. We don't know how many people he may have saved. Uh, We don't know if he got upstairs when his partial remains were found on March 20th, 2002. He was found among a group of other first responders, uh, including just feet away from Moira Smith, who I believe was the only um, female police officer to have perished uh, down at the Trade Center. And it was when they cleared the kind of temporary ramp that they built for the trucks to go up and down and up and down to pull out the debris uh, during the rescue and recovery effort in favor of the more permanent ramp that soon before was put in place, that they found a whole bunch more remains of these first responders and, and others who had been in that spot in Really, what was the lobby area of the South Tower that that Glenn's partial remains were found. Um, I got a call early that morning uh, when somebody from the Jericho Fire Department, Glenn's Fire Department, called and said, they think they found your brother um, because that person in the fire department knew somebody who uh, was actually on the scene, and um, Glenn's wallet was there. And so um, by that evening, a police officer knocked on my door uh, at my home, where I'm speaking to you from now, uh, in Putnam County, in the town of Mayapak. And I knew when the doorbell rang at night, we don't get a lot of doorbells ringing at night in my house, that it must have been somebody to officially let me know that indeed Glenn's remains had been found. And it was a quick turnaround too. Um, he was identified very quickly as these things go by his dental records. Um, so, you know, it it, it it took some months, uh, to kind of get that confirmation as to where he had perished and where his Final moments were um, in that way though we consider ourselves fortunate because so many families so many families I know have no remains at all uh, we did back in October of '01, have a memorial service have a funeral without a body uh, which is a strange thing to go through um but then when his remains were found we went back to the cemetery and properly buried his remains in october when we had his initial funeral we followed a tradition that we learned that people um, who were holocaust family members did which was to bury belongings of the person that represented some element of their life and so we got a pine box it wasn't a coffin but it was a pine box and in that box we buried back in october 01 one of glenn's law books from law school some fire department memorabilia he was a black belt in karate we buried uh you know one of his belts some things from his childhood, small fire truck, Uh, some drawings of done by my son, Justin, who was four at the time he lost his uncle, uh, that depicted his understanding of what had happened on 9-11. Some things from Glenn's bar mitzvah, Uh, just different elements uh, that represented pieces of his uh, very full and colorful life and his accomplishments uh, while still among us. And um, then as I say, once his remains are found, we went back to the cemetery and had a more proper funeral. Uh, Glenn was 40 when he died, not married, had a girlfriend, Um, No children. He would regularly go back to Long Island on weekends uh, to not only do his laundry at my parents' house, um, but also to um, run rescue missions and fight fires. Uh, At some point, when Glenn, Glenn became a partner at Holland at night, He had changed his status in the fire department from an active duty member to associate member, um, meaning that in the last few years of his life, he actually wasn't running rescue missions and fighting fires. Uh, His responsibilities as a partner at the law firm really made it difficult for him to devote the time that he felt was appropriate to keep his active duty status. He was still a member of the department. He maintained some level of his uh, EMS credentials Uh, In fact, uh, he arranged for a CPR training with some others at the Holland and i offices so that uh, colleagues of his at the law firm could be trained in CPR. Um, And as it turned out, because he had changed his status from active to associate member, we had quite a battle with the United States of America, to have Glenn formally designated as having died in the line of duty. Uh, Every other official sanctioning body that could did recognize uh, both Glenn's uh, credentials and actions that morning, but the Department of Justice battled with us for that. saying that um, he was a good Samaritan. This, this man who did not run into these buildings as, a, as an attorney, but ran in as a 20 year firefighter and EMT, who by the way was specially certified in building collapse rescue training. We uh, eventually hired an attorney. Who, in his own right was a firefighter, who knew of Glenn's story. And when he heard that the DOJ was resisting this posthumous honor uh, that my family so craved and that this American hero deserved, was outraged. Uh, and this attorney, Andrew Duke Maloney from the Kreinler and Kreindler Law Firm, which had represented in the Victims' Compensation Fund uh, many 9-11 families. um, He was outraged and he said, well, we're gonna get this fixed and we'll get it fixed within six months. This is paperwork. And as it turned out, it went on for years, this battle, and was highly publicized. Um, In the meantime, the New York State Legislature unanimously passed the law recognizing Glenn as having died in line of duty. It's a special law written just for him because of this situation, signed by Governor Pataki. The FDNY Honor Legion um, honored him as what we were told was the first non-member of the FDNY to be included in their ranks. National Fallen Firefighters Foundation honored Glenn. His own fire department, formally designated Glenn as having represented them on 9-11, recognized him as having perished in the line of duty representing their fire department. Department of Justice, Department of Justice uh, identified uh, an independent arbitrator whose job it is to assess such situations and other kinds of situations, I guess, to hold a formal hearing at which um, members of Glenn's Fire Department, our family, um, former FDNY Fire Commissioner, Tom Von Essen, and others gave testimony either in writing or in person. And the arbitrator ruled in Glenn's favor. We thought, oh, all right, finally this is done. The DOJ then overruled their own arbitrator, still fighting my parents and our family on this. Eventually it went to federal court in Washington, DC, and Judge Marilyn Horn in reading through the documents, taking testimonies, talking to attorneys from both sides, uh, ruled in Glenn's favor, uh, and was outraged in her findings at the DOJ. The New York Times was one of many who reported on this situation. And at the end of the article, uh, the writer people, uh, Peter Applebaum wrote, the problem will never be having too many people like Glenn Winnick, it will be having enough. And that was right. I mean, here was the DOJ discouraging such service. Um, so in the end, uh, Glenn's honor was upheld, is formally designated by the federal government, by the United States of America, as having perished in the line of duty. And as a result, these years later, uh, Glenn was finally uh, awarded the 9-11 Heroes Medal of Valor from President Obama and Attorney General Holder. Uh, Some long time after all the other first responders Uh, received this posthumous honor. So it all worked out okay, but it was a difficult situation over the course of many years, and if not for uh, Duke Maloney from Kreindler and Kreindler, maybe we never would have gotten to that point where Glenn's country uh, properly and formally recognized his actions. And it did get a lot of media coverage, I mean, You know, and and we had, you know, bipartisan members of Congress who, you know, Peter King and Hillary Clinton and Chuck Schumer and so many others, fire officials and and other uh, organizations. Everybody was like, you know, how could this be? Um, So it was uh, a great moment of joy when um, we had a press conference in a park in Jericho named in Glenn's honor for Congressman King and Senator Chuck Schumer to formally present my parents and our family with the 9-11 Heroes Medal of Valor for Glenn. So that's, you know, one saga, one piece of Glenn's story, which uh, is, uh, of course, was and made things more difficult for my family, for my parents in particular, who were both alive at the time and who no longer are. Uh, we were gratified that it all worked out in the end. The firefighters' memorial wall uh, across from Ground Zero, which is visited by millions of people a year, uh, along the exterior of Engine 10, Ladder 10, the closest fire department to Ground Zero. That firefighters' memorial wall, 60 feet, 56 feet long in bronze depicting the 9-11 story and the rescue efforts. The money for that was raised by Glenn's law firm as a gift to New York and uh, who worked very closely with the FDNY to get that done. And all the firefighters' names from the FDNY run along the bottom of it. And it's, it's a beautiful piece of artwork. Adjacent to it, is a special plaque uh, for Glenn recognizing his actions and the Holland and I Charitable Foundation, uh, which was so instrumental in making this happen. Uh, I was honored to speak at the unveiling ceremony for that Firefighters Memorial Wall. Uh, And it was a scene I'll never forget. You know, so many firefighters in uniform at the dedication and members of the Holland and Knight family and so many others. It was, uh, it was an extraordinary time in New York because that was unveiled well before the Memorial Plaza and museum had opened. And it is the place where firefighter families go to pay their respects, so many of them, um, for their lost loved ones, so many of whom all got no remains back. So that's part of Glenn's story. Um, I'm very proud of him. He was uh, a great brother, a great friend. We were very close and he lived his life and died in service to other people. And his actions that day and the actions of so many others helped inspire the 9-11 National Day of Service and Remembrance. Soon after 9-11, I got a phone call from my good friend, David Payne. We had known each other for years. We worked at the same public relations agency back in the 1980s, uh, Burson-Marsteller, which at the time was the world's largest public relations agency. And we worked in the New York office, not on the same accounts, but we knew each other and had uh, shared friends and colleagues there. Uh, Some years after, David moved to California and started his own business and his own family there. But we stayed in touch, and he had heard that Glenn had perished. Um, And David is a very creative, uh, inspiring man. And in a lot of ways, he's a visionary. He's always coming up with great ideas. Uh, And in this case, he called me and said, what do you think about trying to start a a grassroots initiative that would be a day of service each year on 9-11, a movement that reflects the way people responded, were responding at the time because he called me so soon after 9-11. Putting aside their differences, anybody who was around at the time, and Shelly, I know you remember, certainly, and so many of your listeners do, it was the most amazing time. As painful as those post-9-11 days and weeks were, people came together in ways that uh, I had never seen in my lifetime. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. It was so inspiring. You know, we all just focused on our common humanity. Uh, we were all Americans. We weren't divided by politics. We weren't divided by money or geography or religion or sexual orientation or or any of the things that typically tend to divide us. We We were celebrating the great fabric that is this country. And everybody wanted to pitch in. And David's idea was let's, let's try to establish a ritual in this country that each year on 9-11 tries to replicate that and take the day back from the terrorists, not have them define for future generations what people learn about 9-11, that it wasn't just about the attacks, it was about the way good people of the world came together I thought, you know, that's a pretty good idea. As I say, Glenn lived his life and died in service to other people. If I was going to get involved in something, maybe trying to establish a day where people are doing good deeds for other people in need uh, would be a great thing to be involved in. <clears throat> but I said to David, look, I, you know, this is still pretty raw for my family. Uh, I'm just trying to keep my parents afloat here and We've got a lot to deal with. Why don't we talk about it again in a month or two? But I like the idea. And we did revisit it some weeks later. And I said, you know what, I'm all in. Let's try to get this done. But I can't speak and represent, speak on behalf of and represent the whole 9-11 community. And we need to know that the 9-11 community would feel comfortable with a movement that tried to establish 9-11 as a day of service, as a day of people doing good deeds in honor of those lost, those injured, and those who rose in service. So we set about to meet with the leaders of so many 9-11 organizations that had uh, cropped up in the early months, all working on very good causes, to get their feedback. Were we on the right road here? Was this something that they would be comfortable with? And uh, to a person, every one of them was in favor of this idea. Trying to start a day of service. So at least we felt like, um, you know, we had the, the, the wind in our back, that we were gonna be on the right track. We may not get there, but at least we were doing something that was comfortable Within those who were within the 9 11 community. So we set up a website and we did some initial research people around the country. You know, would they be interested? Would they participate? Why would they participate? What do they understand about this? And, you know, just kept putting one foot in front of the other. Eventually we established uh, officially a, a, a nonprofit organization. Which is still called my good deed. At the time, we called it one day's pay, but people misconstrued the concept. They thought we were trying to get people to donate money, one day's salary, and it wasn't about money at all. It was about a day—a a day of doing good deeds. And so um, we just—we just kept just kept trying to get the word out it's a lot easier now to get the word out with social media and other tools than it was then but uh we we held uh, our first press conference in new york city we were very bold we thought i mean i'm sorry in washington dc our second was in new york city we went down to washington because we were also working the halls of capitol hill trying to get um, federal support for this because one of our goals was to get it federally, get the anniversary federally designated as a national day of service or remembrance. We eventually got there, it took some years in 2009, we were successful uh, with that. And I'll come back to that. So we thought while we're in Washington doing the groundwork for this, we'll stage a press conference. We're a couple of PR guys and we, at a board of directors and we had made connections with other people within the service community, uh, along with people from the 9-11 community. And we, we rented out a room in the National Press Club. And we're like, you, know, you never know at a press conference who's actually gonna show up. So we went to uh, do a morning TV interview before the press conference. I forget which program. I think it was the Today Show. And we were running late and we, we raced into the National Press Club, not knowing, it, we can have any media there at all to, for this announcement that was so important to us and to others in the 9-11 community. And we, and we walked into this room that we had rented and we thought, we're going to need a bigger room. There were so many media, Shelley, that were there, that were interested in covering this idea, this story Of uh, the 9 11 community and many of its friends who wanted to make 9 11 a a day of service in this country. So that was uh, another really great step forward. Um, It got plenty of coverage the Washington Post and the LA Times and Associated Press and TV coverage. And we thought, you know, we felt even more that we were on the right track. And so um, there were times along the way where we thought maybe this is running out of steam. You know, the further you get away from something like 9-11, people move on with their lives and you have to raise money to keep it going and to get more and more people involved and to get companies involved so their employees understand about it and other nonprofits. And it takes money to get things like this going and sustained and then grow. But one way or another, we kept going and kept building on it to the point where, yes, in 2009, um, under the Edward M. Kennedy Serve America Act, there's language in there that formally designates, under federal law, the anniversary of September 11th as a National Day of Service and Remembrance. And now it is one of only two, along with um, the birthday of Martin Luther King Jr., uh, so so designated under federal law. And we have grown it into, with the help of many others, the nation's largest annual day of charitable engagement. Uh, the research we do every few years by an independent research company last indicated that more than 30 million Americans participated, mark the day by doing some kind of good deeds for people in communities in need. But that's still only about a 10th of the country. So we have a lot of good work ahead of us to do. the morning of 9 11 i was sitting pretty much right where i'm sitting right now in my home office above uh the garage at our house in mayopac new york and uh i got a phone call from a close friend who said did you hear what happened in the city just now and i said no and he said turn on your tv so I have a TV in the office and I turned on the TV just in time to see the second plane hit. And I thought, oh my God, you know, and then, you know, my immediate thought went to Glenn because I knew where his office was and I knew he responded in 93. And I knew he was a 20 year volunteer firefighter in EMT. And I knew that if he could be there, he would be there. I had spoken to him just the night before. um, Because earlier that day, I had gone to pay my respects uh, to a family who had lost uh, their dad, close friend from family, we were very close friends with this family. Uh, and indeed the, the dad who had passed away, uh, had been a fellow firefighter of Glenn's in Jericho. So I went to New Jersey to pay my respects and Glenn and I spoke the night of September 10th to ask me how it went because his plan was to go after work the next day on the 11th. So I told him approximately where it was and who was there and, you know, we just talked about things related to that. But that morning, the next morning, September 11th, um, I, once I realized what was going on down at the Trade Center, uh, of course, like so many other people, I started calling Glenn immediately. At his apartment, on his cell phone, in his office, and got nowhere with that. But I knew he knew how to handle himself, and he had, you know, Responded to emergencies hundreds and hundreds of times before. But like everybody else in the country, I was glued to the TV, primarily CNN, and uh, watched as things unfolded. And then when the towers came down, my concern kicked into a much higher level, but still understanding that. He was likely there and likely not about to call anybody back. But those hours passed um, and I was speaking, you know, of course, with my parents and my brother and other relatives and friends. And, you know, people came to realize, well, he had to be down there because we would have otherwise heard from him. I wasn't able to reach anybody at his law firm uh, and, um, you know, by that evening, we were we were pretty freaked out um, because we had thought, well, at this point, somebody would have heard from him. And then we started gathering the troops. You know, the next few days were about getting people to call around to hospitals, trying to find somebody who may have seen him or talked to him. Uh, Everybody was holding out hope that, you know, okay, maybe, you know, their loved one got hit in the head and was just kind of wandering around or buried somewhere floors below the trade center. And, you know, there's retail down there and there's food and who knows, you know. Um, There was a great chance of survival, we thought, uh, for some people. There was reason to have hope. But, you know, the days passed and uh, the hope became very slim, but we didn't give up hope until um, Mayor Giuliani and other officials said, this is no longer a uh, rescue effort. It's now a recovery effort. Nobody else is gonna come out of there alive. And so, yeah, you know, as I mentioned earlier, that's when we started planning a memorial service, which we held out uh, at the Jericho Jewish Center, where. All three of us, the three Winnick boys, got bar mitzvahed and um, was right next door to the Jericho Fire Department. And um, we held a memorial service and then went to the cemetery. But that day was harrowing. You know, it went from, boy, I bet my brave brother is right down there in the mix, you know, doing what he does to, by that night, it was uh, horrific to contemplate that he uh, very well may have perished when one or the other building came down. So that's what that day was like. Um, It, um, like everybody else, I'll never forget it you know there were uh, emotions and and fear and uh confusion like i've never had before uh, fortunately i have a very strong wife uh, my wife carolyn who who did so much uh to keep me going in those hours and days and who kept my family going uh really i mean she she became the backbone of our family uh, or, you know cousins and uncles and aunts and so many others and then Glenn's friends and colleagues and there were so many people who as it was I'm sure for many families who were just trying to be helpful and having questions and wanting to talk and um, Some of that's so helpful, just hearing from so many people and getting so many offers. And it's also uh, a lot to handle as you're dealing with something that is both personal and so public. To lose somebody in such a public way um, is a challenge. It's not a normal way to lose somebody. Glenn's death is no more or less important than anybody else's and we all face tragedies and we all lose people that we love in our lives. Uh, I never for a minute think that his loss is any more important than anybody else's. But as we know in the 9-11 community to lose somebody like this as part of a mass murder, as part of a terrorist act, uh, something that uh, is so public is, it's a different way to lose somebody there's no training for that and it's nothing I would ever want to wish on anybody else. For me, working on the 9-11 day uh, observance is therapeutic. Uh, it is the best thing I feel like I could do in Glenn's honor to get people to do good deeds in, in honor as a, and as a way to never forget. Uh, because that's the kind of person he was. I I often tell people he would have been first in line for this kind of initiative. He was just a very giving, caring person. I will tell you that, Within a few days of 9 11 happening, because Glenn's law firm had to move out of their building. Their building was evacuated. And so, suddenly, you know, where do they all go? What do they all do? Imagine the impact on so many businesses down there that suddenly didn't have an office to go to. And how do they communicate with each other? And how do they comfort each other, uh, much less get back to doing the business of the company? But within a few days, I heard from both the managing partner of Glenn's law firm, Holland & Knight, um, Bill Honan, and then the managing partner of the whole firm, because there are many offices around the country, Bob Fagan, to tell me what they knew about Glenn's last steps and what they were going to do to help potentially find Glenn and to support our family. Um, And I didn't know either gentleman before. And they were so helpful to me and my family in keeping us going and giving us information that they were finding out. And as a law firm, they had a lot of uh, resources uh, investigative resources and resources with government officials and others. And so we had the benefit of their counsel and their strength, um, to, to help keep us informed about this situation that was nothing but question marks. And so, um, I became very close with many people in Glenn's law firm, uh, over, those recent years, and they continue to be uh, very important players in the 9-11 day of service. Uh, in their offices around the country, they volunteer on this day and they pay tribute to Glenn and all the first responders and all those who rose in service. Uh, they, they work hard to keep his memory alive and to make sure that people never forget uh, not only about Glenn, but about the events of 9-11. So they're a really important part of Glenn's story. Just yes. one last question. Do you view life and death differently now? I do, It's a good question. Um, I try to appreciate each day more. We all say we're gonna do that, but the busyness of life, uh, I guess uh, sometimes gets in the way of appreciating each day. But I I do work hard at that uh, too um, because, you know, you never know. Nobody ever knows when their last day is going to be, whether you're a first responder or not, you know. Um, And so uh, we all like to think we're going to live to old age, but it doesn't always work out that way. So I do try to appreciate each day. I certainly, uh, even though both my brothers were firefighters, uh, since 9-11, I have an extra appreciation for first responders at a different level than I had before. And I think as a nation since 9-11, we um, take them for granted less than we did before. Uh you know, I think, I think there's a tendency to not think so much about the important role of firefighters and police and EMTs until you need one. I think 9-11 changed a lot of that. Uh, I do think it's shameful that first responders from 9-11 who were sick and suffering as a result of exposure at Ground Zero had to fight. For so many years, so hard to get the support that they needed, the financial support that they needed, um, but a lot of progress, uh, as you know, has been made in that front. Finally, but um, yeah, I think you know that's that's the biggest life lesson to try to appreciate each day because you never know, you know, when that comes to an end. Um, you know, we have goals for the 20th anniversary of 9/11. The eyes of the world are gonna be focused on 9-11. And uh, as an organization, we, of course, want to make participation in the 9-11 day of service even greater than it's ever been before. We think it's an opportunity to look back on what we've learned since those attacks and what we need to do better moving forward. I think it's an opportunity to educate young people, so many of whom weren't alive or have no direct memories of 9-11, even more about the day. But September 11th in 2021 is gonna be the biggest story in the world. And uh, there's a lot of good work that can be done coming out of that. Amen to that. Thank you. In the aftermath, so I welcome the opportunity. Thank you, Tony. Stay safe and healthy. Thank you. Same to you. We'll speak soon. All right, Shelly, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another chapter of 9-11 Stories, a podcast presented by Barrish & McGarry, lawyers for the 9-11 community, and New York's Classic Rock, Q104.3.